morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. Uh, I am Blake Murphy. I almost just started this show playing you audio of Dominican Republic and Philippines in the FIBA World Cup. Uh, Canada, France also on, by the way, not to direct you away from my show, but if you weren't aware, the FIBA basketball, men's basketball World Cup started this morning. Uh, all the Canada games are on Sportsnet. You can go over and hear Dan Schulman, Alvin Williams, Arash Badani on the call. Uh, yeah, Arash down in Jakarta, Indonesia. Pretty big game for Canada here against France. Um, and maybe you need a sports sorbet of sorts to cleanse your palate from what that Baltimore Orioles series became for the Toronto Blue Jays. They lost last night, five to three. They lose the series two games to one. They lose the season series 10 to three against the Baltimore Orioles. Not great. Even if you don't come away from those series, super convinced about Baltimore. I mean, Dean Kramer and Kyle Gibson, they throw what they throw and the Jays had trouble with it, but would you, you know, Chris Black's made the point a couple of times. Would you pick Baltimore over some of the other teams in the American League playoff race when you look at the starting pitching matchups? I still haven't come away super impressed with that side of things. Their bullpen's very good, and the Blue Jays, once again, are just struggling to hit for more than their once-a-week outburst. It seems they will score double-digit runs on Sundays, and that's it. Jays lose this series. They lose the season series 10-3. to uh, Obviously, that has a huge impact on the standings. They are now far enough behind in the American League East at nine and a half games that we will probably just stop updating that one, and we will focus entirely on the wild card race. Elsewhere in baseball last night, Boston hammered the Astros 17-1. to uh, Texas lost to Minnesota. Tampa Bay defeated Colorado, and Seattle was off. So not a ton of change in the wild card standings, Tampa Bay continues to separate themselves uh, as the WC1 and leave Seattle, Houston, and Toronto to fight for those final two spots. Boston is not too far out of it at three and a half games uh, back of that final spot. And then you also have to keep an eye on Texas because they could very much fall into a wild card spot any day now. Fangraphs odds this morning have the Blue Jays at 59.8% to make the playoffs. They have hovered in the kind of 60 to 70% range for most of the season. This is a little on the lower end of where you'd like to be right now. But hey, you're about to play 15 games in a row against bad teams. The Cleveland Guardians and then four literal last place teams, including a couple with some of the worst records in all of baseball. As John Schneider said last night, got to do it right. Blanken now. And Ben Nicholson Smith won't tell me what word he said, but I my guess is it's not a... It's not a radio-appropriate one. Uh, the Jays got to turn it on. They're running out of time. About five weeks left in the season here. Uh, 34 games, I think. And, yeah, the wild card race is very, very tight. There are a handful of teams in it, and those teams are playing better than Toronto Blue Jays right now. It's a tough spot to be in. Keegan Matheson decided, you know what? It's the Orioles. I'm, I'm not going to this series. I'm going to Niagara Falls. I, I'll, I'll be afar from this team at the latest of lows for this Toronto Blue Jays teams. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com of BlueJays.com joins us now. How was your little uh, Niagara escape, buddy? A veteran move, Blake. It was a lot better than being in Baltimore. Let me tell you that. It's a bit of a low bar, but it was uh, nice to get away this time of year. <laughs> I bet it was. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you're a, uh, you're a professional. You're still watching these games, staying on top of it. And you get to see the Blue Jays finish their season series against the Orioles three and 10. 
there are a lot of little things we can explain game to game. You know, um, Dean Kramer's cutter looked unbelievable the other day. Uh, Kyle Gibson's sinker last night was inducing poor contact. That's that's what it does when he's on. You can look back at prior Oriole series. Hey, Ryan Mountcastle caught a heater. What are you going to do about that? But all of these little minor explanations don't really help explain that the Blue Jays just dropped 10 of 13 uh, to a division rival and a division rival that entering this year, the Blue Jays would have thought they were ahead of the Orioles weren't supposed to be here quite yet. And the Blue Jays were supposed to have graduated from the maybe on the outside looking in tier of things. Uh, What do you, what do you make of how these games have gone with the Orioles over the course of the entire season? It's not, you know, it doesn't mean the whole season, but it's 13 games against a team you're measuring yourself against. Yeah, it's a reality check, that's for sure. And when you look at the Orioles, Blake, they're ahead of schedule. You know, I, I thought that they would be a good team this year, but I thought they would have some problems, maybe mainly with their pitching, but they've covered that up so well. They are one of, if not the most exciting young teams in Major League Baseball, and they still have the number one farm system in Major League Baseball. That's terrifying if you're the Blue Jays. There's Nothing good about that. And, and that shouldn't be allowed, put, honestly. I don't think you should be allowed to do that. Oh, you're supposed to have used up all of those prospects by now. It, it's If the Orioles spend any sort of money, which we'll see, <laughs> uh, that's really scary in this division. And there are 13 games against the Blue Jays this season, a reality check that this team is better than you right now. The Orioles are the better team right now. Maybe that changes soon or later, but right now the Orioles have that clear edge. I don't think that's uh, hard to argue against, but throughout this entire series through the season, Blake, I think it's kind of been a, an example of how this Blue Jays season has gone is because like you mentioned, there's often been something to point at off to the side. Well, oh, this happened. This individual thing happened. This happened. There's been a lot of butts this season. It's easy to distract from what's happening, which is very disappointing. You know, we should be talking about a AL East race, uh, a division race right now, but we're talking about a team that's scrambling to try to get a third wild card spot. This is disappointing uh, with, with where it's at right now. And like John Schneider says, needs to uh, change pretty quickly. It's a miracle, Blake. I've made it this deep in my career without swearing on the radio. So I'll, I'll stay away from Schneider's quote, but uh it's uh, it's about that time for things to turn around, but we've been saying that for a while. Yeah, and in terms of the division, I mean, nine and a half games, the, the Detroit Tigers are closer to winning their division by several games than the Toronto Blue Jays are to theirs, and the Tigers wouldn't also have to jump Tampa Bay on the way. You are also, of course, out of games against the Baltimore Orioles now, um, and Keegan, at the risk of chopping small samples into smaller samples, you know, we can look at the Blue Jays schedule and we can see that as part of this with the Orioles, they have gone 12 and 25 in their own division. And we know they had a, a little bit of a tough time with the Red Sox before the last year series. We can look and we can also see, well, the Blue Jays are pretty shaky against teams above 500. They're 38 and 42. Now, there's also the element if you just, I don't know, if you want to put the Orioles into their own like magic voodoo class, then the Jays are 35 and 32 against non-Orioles 500 teams. Um, but those Orioles games count and the overall sample that we have of the blue Jays against good teams is that they don't quite measure up. And look, as an, as a wild card ish team, this is kind of how it goes. You're supposed to take care of your business against lesser opponents. And then, you know, 
play even against the the top teams and hopefully be ready to play better than them uh, when the playoffs roll around. But when you look at the larger sample of the Jays, when they've faced good teams, um, and, and we can leave the Orioles aside if you'd like, because they are such a huge part of that sample. But generally speaking, the Jays, when they are trying to measure themselves against non-Baltimore teams, um, they fared a little better, but in your estimation, still haven't fared well enough. Yeah, not well enough just yet. And it, comes down to execution, which is uh, a vague word for every single thing that happens on the field, but also adjustments, Blake. I think when you look at this full season, whether it's big picture with something like this or a little more narrow with something like hitters hitting with runners in the scoring position, it's a matter of adjustments and who was making one. So if the Blue Jays have the bases loaded, that pitcher on the mound, you bet, is making an adjustment. He's trying to force a pop-up, get a ball on the ground, chase a strikeout. He's making some sort of adjustment. Are the Blue Jays adjusting back? Are they doing it in time? Are they doing it properly? Sometimes that has been an issue for the Blue Jays against these good teams who can go blow for blow with you. Now, if you're facing the A's, ideally you can just out-talent them. Ideally you can just be better. And even if you miss an adjustment or two, you probably win the series. But looking to the postseason, and I think that's what this conversation has to be framed as all the time now, like the last month. It's sure, if it works against the A's, that's one thing. But this team needs to do something in October. Just creeping in in a third wild card spot and enjoying a couple of wild card games, that's a letdown. That, that's not good enough. I don't think that's anybody's expectations, or at least shouldn't be anyone's expectations for a team like this. Something actually has to happen in October. And by the time you get there, you are going to be facing a good team, a team over 500. So I think that's a lot of what Schneider is alluding to, that not only do the wins need to pick up these next few weeks, but you need to see a better style of baseball that's a little more suited to playing these big, big teams. And yes, Schneider's entire comment was also about, uh, you know, starting tomorrow, we've got to be aggressive. We've got to be on the attack. We've got to have good at bats. Our pitching has been really good, but it's putting everything together. Um, and then, yeah, there's no time to wait. There's no time to wait at all. We've got to do it right leap now. Uh, and this is on the heels of Kevin Gosman having talked the other day as well. And, you know, giving a, a quote about, well, we, we haven't necessarily played great baseball year. We're in a situation right now where we're right there and we've just got to keep going. He seemed kind of at a loss for why that run hasn't come. And we, we you know, we talked to Chris Bassett back in, I want to say, the middle of June and his talking point of like, yeah, we haven't put it together yet. We haven't played our best baseball. And here we are end of August. And that is still the prevailing feeling. Um, so, Keegan, I, I guess for you, in terms of measuring whether the Blue Jays are doing that, they will now play 15 consecutive games against bad teams. Cleveland gave them some trouble last time out, but they are a sub-500 team. They are well behind the Minnesota Twins in a very bad division. And then the Jays are going to play four last-place teams after that. The wins have to come, and, and in a wild-card race, the wins are the most important thing. But what other indicators will you be looking for that, yes, the Blue Jays are playing better baseball, and it can carry over when that schedule turns difficult again mid-September? That aggression that uh, Schneider talks about, I think, is very important. And that's what I believe Bo Bichette was getting at back in Cincinnati last week when we spoke with him. Fearless. Saying that he thinks the Blue Jays need to be fearless. Exactly. Now, these words can uh, mean a lot of things, but I think they all point in the same direction of just playing their own brand of baseball. 
when you are losing the adjustments game, sometimes you get stuck in playing the other team's style. This is capable in football, hockey, basketball, baseball, but you can still see it in baseball going back and forth. And the Blue Jays can be such an aggressive team that just blitzes you. We saw that sometimes going way back, even to early April. I remember seeing a few wins early on thinking, man, oh, man, this is the vision they had. This is playing great defense, good pitching, and forcing the issue on the bases with guys like Varsho and Kiermaier. This team's going to look totally different. I see it. Haven't seen it as much since then. You haven't seen it as consistently. And even right now, Blake, if you asked me to describe, you know, what does a Blue Jays win look like this year? What is their their classic, their trademark, their identity win this year? I don't really know. Is it a two-to-one win with some frustration on either side? Maybe. But I think that a more aggressive team that takes control is what you need to see because the Blue Jays have more talent than any of these teams, period, than most teams in Major League Baseball, period. But you need to put it on display, and I think they need to land that first blow a little more often, be aggressive early, and lean on that incredible bullpen because it's kind of like that 2021 offense, Blake, how you look back and think, man, oh, man, that should have gone somewhere. This rotation and this bullpen, if you don't go somewhere with them, we're going to be talking about them for five, ten years. How good they were but didn't get a chance, they're that good. You need to set them up for success. And, yeah, you, you mentioned, you know, what is the Blue Jays' victory, like standard victory? What's their calling card? And you're right. I think it is, whether it's 2-1 or 3-2 or something like that, you know, they have more wins and a better record than any team in baseball when they score three runs or fewer. But that is not... I mean, look, that is in some in some aspects, it feels like playoff baseball because games shorten and you rely on the bullpen a little bit more. But guess what? The degree of difficulty to hit in those games also goes up. Um, we're coming off, you know, to, to reflect back on something that happened two weeks ago. They're about to play the Cleveland Guardians again. They split a series 2-2 with the Guardians the other week where they scored seven runs total. And that, you know, they had a one nothing win in there, a 4-3 loss, I think, a 4-1 victory. Those are the kind of games we've seen the Blue Jays play a little bit more often. Now, this is a Cleveland team where it goes without saying you you can't score seven runs over four games again, and it's only a three-game series. You really shouldn't score seven runs over three games uh, here. What are, you, what are you looking for in this Guardians series? Um, you know, they've gone the, – the Guardians came into that last one in – iffy shape but they things have gone worse since then they're four and eight since that series um i'm not exaggerating that cole calhoun has been by far their best hitter for the last month and it's not particularly close and i'm talking about cole calhoun literally here um when you head into this one look i know some of these young pitchers tanner bybee uh, logan allen those are nice pieces but we can't have uh, like the blue jays can't get shut down by Noah Syndergaard again, who is by most metrics, one of the 10 worst starting pitchers in baseball, right? Like, like this has to be a more offensive oriented series, even if they enjoy and take pride in grinding out those tight games. Yeah. The Blue Jays performance against Syndergaard a couple of weeks ago was painful at at times because Syndergaard, we remember what Thor looks like throwing a hundred for the Mets. That's not it anymore. Syndergaard was living in the low nineties out over the plate, not fooling anybody by any means at all. And like you say, Blake, all of the metrics point to him being one of the most hittable pitchers 
in the sport right now. I would love to see a turnaround. Great story, but it's not happening right now. The Blue Jays need to hammer somebody like that. Not just a few runs, 10 runs. This lineup needs to be all over a pitcher like that or a young pitcher because what should a lineup like this be able to do better than a young pitcher is adjust, is make a game plan. These hitters have seen way more than those young pitchers have ever seen in the big leagues. So I think you need to see a more aggressive offense that, like we talked about a bit earlier, makes this a Blue Jays style of game, whatever that means. The Blue Jays got stuck in some Guardians style of games down there, which are just putting some balls in play, hoping you can scrape a few runs across. That's not how they are built. I know that the narrative of that has shifted a little bit, but this is, should be a team hitting home runs. The lack of power this year, I think, is one of the more underrated stories around the Blue Jays in terms of how much it's meant. Just because the home runs don't come doesn't mean that this team can rebrand as a move-the-runners-round team. No, they should be hitting for power, one through nine. They should be a top-three home run team, and it's not there at all. So I think some aggression and power break some games open and maybe just one time give the bullpen a break. I think they would be very happy. I think they would uh, cover steak dinners for the whole offense if there's just a nice 7-1 game they can coast to, and that would really be beneficial. And look, this is not, it's a, it's a good guardians rotation. A lot of interesting young guys, uh, the Dodgers just hung 23 runs on them over three games. And those are the, those are the Dodgers to be sure. But like you, you came into this season expecting to measure yourself against teams like the Dodgers. No, the Tigers didn't get many runs in against the, against the guardians, but the Rays put up big numbers on them. The Dodgers put up big numbers on them. This is a team you can get to the guardians also, by the way, and look, they had a reliever eat up almost five innings yesterday to save the bullpen a little bit in a double header, but they're coming off a double header where almost every reliever in their bullpen pitched. So you can get to them a little earlier there. Now, Keegan, one thing that has been kicked around a little bit, as a means of boosting the offense is, Hey, you have a couple guys on the bench who are more offense first players. It is hard to work Kevin Biggio and Davis Schneider in with more regularity, because as always, the question is, well, at whose expense, it's hard to take one of the nine guys out of there, even though the blue Jays aren't playing particularly well, they all have their value and they all have their place. Um, Do you think John Schneider might be at a point though, where some of the lineup decisions start to favor an offensive punch over that more balanced approach they've taken with the lineup over the the first three quarters of the season here. I think it has to. I think David Schneider is a good example of that. And even when you remove, uh, you know, the the capital N narrative around him, I, I know it's been very fun to watch his story, but just as a straight up baseball player, the power potential that he brings which is legitimate power in his swing that works in the big leagues can break open a game. We've seen that a few times from Davis Schneider and just giving yourself a one or 2% chance bump to hit a home run can make such a difference here. This blue Jays team needs more power. And if you steal a home run, another home run or two every week, suddenly we are forgetting about runners in scoring position. (laughs) Suddenly that covers up a bad bullpen performance along the way. Power can do so much for you as a team. And I think down the stretch, it's such an interesting position with Merrifield, Espinal, Biggio, Schneider. Nobody plays one position anymore anyways. Everyone has 10 things under their name. But finding a way to get David Schneider some at-bats 
I think has to be a priority. Now, if he goes 0 for 8, 0 for 12, sure, go back to the big leaguers you know and love. But chasing a bit of that power potential needs to be a priority because you are 120-some games in to this season and we're seeing a lot of the same thing over and over. Might as well take a bit more of a risk at this point. Yeah, and look, I, things are bad enough offensively. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills a little bit that, like, Kevin Biggio with his 677 OPS, and I know he's been better since the start of May, but, like, the fact that in my head he has an offensive boost option, he has a sub-700 OPS <laughs> is, uh, yeah. The, and, and, hey, the other thing is you, you just said one way to not worry about hitting with runners in scoring position is to hit for power. Uh, the Jays disagreed, and they just haven't put runners in scoring position the last two games. They're, uh, they're 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position the last wow. two. Um, so I guess the other way that you could boost the offense a little bit and, and Keegan, this is uh, this question is a week ahead and I'm sure we'll talk to you again next week before this happens. But when you look at who at triple a Buffalo could potentially help this big league club as a September call up. Um, now look, there's a risk of if you call up a Martinez or a barger or someone like that, you are sacrificing developmental time and regular at bats to potentially help the big league club in a very small and narrow role, but you're also in a playoff race here. How do you personally balance those things? And, and then how do you think the Blue Jays will balance those things? I feel like we're headed toward like a Nathan Lucas or, you know, slightly higher up Ernie Clement, but there are cases to be made that one of these young bat first prospects could do something for you over the course of a month. Yeah, I think there, there's the two answers. And first is the boring one, unfortunately, Blake. But when we look at how the Blue Jays have used their 26th spot this year, whether that be Lucas, Luplo, Clement, They've barely used it at all. Are they going to use an extra hitter off the bench much? I don't know. No, nope. I don't think so because of how they've, again, barely used that fourth spot on the bench. It's been interesting, I guess is one word for it. But when you look at these options, if you do go outside of a Lucas, a Clement, even someone like a Heinemann to allow you to use your catchers a bit more freely, if you look at those young prospects, uh, I think I lean more to the Barger side Uh, given that Arelvis Martinez has had a great season, full credit to him, has fully reclaimed that top 100 prospect status. But I think he is still a bit more in that developmental phase of his AAA journey, whereas Barger, going back to the start of, goodness, July 1, has been playing fantastic baseball. He's also been playing a lot of right field Mm. lately. So, of course, players are going to play around a little bit more. Arelvis Martinez is playing some second base, but... It's like I said on network the other day, Blake, it makes me get into my Brian Windhorst zone of just like, why is that? And you know, why is, why is, why would they do that? Exactly. But (laughs) with Barger, a bat from the left side, a guy who's had an OPS up in the high eight hundreds, the last couple of months, poor start, elbow injury. It really killed his momentum, but that's a guy who brings some energy off the bench. He does play with that Brett Laurie, 500 (laughs) mile an hour playing style that, I think people will like. There is some power in there and the lefty bat. I think a lot of things can point towards that being a bit of a boost. And frankly, Blake, beyond the numbers, beyond everything else, there's that Davis Schneider factor of just when a guy comes up and pops off, it does something. It changes the energy around a team. It excites the veteran players. And Barger is at least putting himself back in that conversation. Credit to him. 
And look, there's one thing I know Blue Jays fans love, and it's hearing that, hey, the numbers should be even better. The batted ball data, the exit velocities are really good. Blue Jays fans love that. You're making that. me sweat here. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and, next? Is somebody going to send me a screenshot of a strike zone? Oh, good. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, okay. <laughs> so on the pitching side, it's a little more straightforward. Chad Green continues to get rehab work in. He'll need a 40-man spot at some point. There is actually an open 40-man spot right now because of the Paul DeYoung DFA. Um, you maybe want to delay that to September 1st since we're so close here. They also have Jay Jackson down there. Um, Nate Pearson, who could probably benefit from a couple of weeks of just working on stuff down there, but he's a, a name as well. Um, so the, the bullpen part of this is very straightforward. It has been made even more straightforward by this weirdness around Alec Manoa, where we heard two weeks ago that he was being optioned down to AAA and the plan was for him to pitch a AAA, stay on turn, be ready if the Blue Jays needed him. We are now two weeks from that, and it was only updates yesterday from Ben Nicholson-Smith that finally revealed, yeah, okay, he's going to head down there now. Um, there are some details out there. There are some details I imagine are going to come out still and some that certain parties here probably don't want to come out if they can manage it. Um, but Alec Manoa will eventually pitch for AAA Buffalo and I guess is still an emergency starting pitching option. But given the two weeks down, given the weirdness around this, um, are you kind of penciling Manoa out of the mix other than like an absolute emergency situation in September? Yeah. Speaking of my, my Brian Windhorst fingers being in the air um, with <laughs> this Manoa situation, um, unique is barely scratches the surface on it. Um, this is a very interesting one. Looking forward to hearing a bit more tomorrow about this whole process because this is not something you see uh, often or at all. This middle ground where the Blue Jays, um, you know, yesterday saying that they were running him through some tests, but that's a period of almost two weeks where a guy who should be your number six is not in their pitching. So ideally for the Blue Jays, they get Manoa in that AAA rotation, on rotation, and as the number six. It's late in the season. You have a veteran rotation that's been incredible but you need a backup, and that could be Manoa now. I don't think he makes sense as a September call-up unless a starter goes down. I don't think Manoa makes sense in a bullpen role because of his control issues he's shown this year, but also some pitchers with their delivery and how they work, they're, they're starters. Manoa is a starter. I'd have the same conversation about a Ryu, for example. Some guys are starting pitchers. So unless we see an injury to a pitcher, or if we end up in a situation with a double header where you need another guy to come up, I, I'm not sure where that path is for Manoa to come back uh, to the big leagues this season. It's even though I've watched and covered it all, Blake, it's still incredible to be saying this about the opening day starter, but uh, that's where we're at now in reality. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a tough spot uh, to be in for sure. And I'm sure we'll hear more about it you know, today from John Schneider over the course of the weekend, whenever Manoa next starts um, Keegan, when it comes to, I mean, you just kind of laid it out there that only in an emergency situation and a starter goes down. If you are Alec Manoa, if you're the team in Alec Manoa, obviously you have to keep that possibility and you have to, you have to pitch as if that is a possibility just in case, because again, you're in a playoff race here, but how much of this now turns to 
okay, well, this is a lost year. Let's get the focus on 2024 and figuring out what you need in the off season and what you need to show up in March in a better place than you did this past March. Like obviously those things, he doesn't have to worry about both of those things for much longer, but for right now, I'd imagine there's kind of one eye on this low probability case that they need him and then a bigger eye on the man. How do you get back for next year? Yeah, this is such a fascinating piece of player development. And then once they're big leaguers, player management is managing the human being in all of this because Alec Manoa is used to being the number three finisher in Cy Young voting. He is used to the success and the attention and the accolades that comes along with that. And now he's being challenged with something very different. So if you are the Blue Jays, I think you are managing hope, really, for for Alec Manoa. And any of us in any of our jobs, what makes it easy is the hope of something bigger, more exciting coming down the line. For Alec Manoa, could that be this year? Yeah, it could be. If a starter goes down, if you really need a pitcher, absolutely. He can come back and be part of this. Maybe not a playoff roster, but a September roster. But it's also the act of managing expectations going into next year and trying to fully hit that reset button, which they tried to do in season in another very unique way, hasn't quite worked. But you're managing the hope for this year, the hope going into next year and how that's all going to work, because this is already the most interesting story of next spring training. When I show up on February 11th or 12th. I'm getting nervous even thinking about that, Blake, but that's my first question. That's my first locker I'm going to stand in front of is Alec Manoa. So how do you set him up for that, both as a a pitcher, as a baseball player, but as a human being, you know, dealing with that success and then that failure in front of that many people? Like, I know how to fail, but not in front of that many people. That's something unique to athletes and can be very tough in terms of sports psychology and dealing with that. It's uh, it's a tough one. It's going to be fascinating. You mentioned the sports psychology aspect of it. There is obviously a, a big mental component to this and a big mental component to his offseason. So, uh, yeah, fascinating. And it'll certainly be more fascinating if that story has uh, a happier ending or a happier next chapter next year. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There might be there might be more mud to get through uh, before we get to that point. Keegan Matheson. Thank you for taking the time out this morning, man. I hope you're feeling good and well-rested and, uh, you know, ready for a 4-3 aggregate score over these three games this weekend. <laughs> Best shape of my life physically. I don't know about mentally anymore, Blake, but we'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see you down there. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, of Blue Jays. Dot com. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, we got one text in from uh, Mike that says, please stop saying how tough it is to take one player out of the lineup to try something. Uh, fortunately, Keegan stopped you today. I don't know about Keegan stopped me, but like this is to get upset that the team to paraphrase the team's talking point of, yeah, a guy's got to come out. And like you look at yesterday's lineup. Okay. Whit Merrifield's been a little cold of late. He could come out but he's also been your best contact hitter other than Bobachette for the most part this season. Uh, Bobachette, Brandon Belt, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., George Springer, they're just not coming out of the lineup um, if they're healthy. Brandon Belt, maybe against a, a left-handed starter, is going to sit a lot of the time, but none of those guys are going to come out of the lineup, um, even if Vlad is struggling. And again, over the last month or so, he's got he's 
fallen a little below league average at the plate, which is not great anyway, but especially not great for Vlad. They're not going to take him out of the lineup. George Springer has turned things around, has been one of their better hitters lately. Dalton Varsho's turned things around, has been one of their better hitters lately. Um, Matt Chapman, they have told us with their lineup decisions and with their words for a very long time that they're okay with the bat being up and down because the defense he provides at third base is so valuable to them. Now, could you get Matt Chapman a day off or when you have nine games in nine days? Absolutely. That's one spot that you could do it. Uh, yesterday, they opted to do it with Kevin Kiermeyer and juggle the outfield around to get Kevin Biggio's bat in. These things are not impossible, but the reason you set that question up is because it's the same thing as with all-star snubs or, you know, when you lay out a lineup or rotation, things like that, the thing a manager is going to say back to you is, okay, well, who comes out? So when we discuss these things, it is necessary to also acknowledge the side of who comes out and what the team's thinking may be in a case of, well, okay, this is a Baltimore Orioles ballpark with a lot of ground to cover in left center field. Do you want to take Kevin Kiermeyer out of that game? Do you want to take Kevin Kiermeyer out of a game at Rogers Center where uh, the center field defense has been so important this year? Do you want to take Whit Merrifield out of a game to get him a breather and, and then that disrupts the top of the lineup? It is not saying it's hard because all of these guys have been hitting incredibly well. But if we are going to say this guy should get more playing time, a part of that discussion has to be, okay, who comes out? So I'm sorry that that upsets you, but that is how those conversations go. What is also going to upset you is that if we look at some projection systems, they tell us that some of these Blue Jays prospects we're talking about, David Schneider, Addison Barger, a couple guys down on the farm, they could be contributing... Right now, if they got the opportunity. Now, it's a good thing that you have prospects who are ready-ish to contribute. Um, it's maybe frustrating that they don't have a path to that right this moment. But things look okay. And nobody here sitting a, a game out of the wildcard spot in 2023 is going to feel great about 2024. But there was a little nugget in a Dan Zimborski piece at Fangraphs this week in eulogizing this year's New York Yankee season uh, that is worth investigating a little bit more. And it's that uh, the Blue Jays right now look pretty good for 2024. Um, yes, they have a bunch of free agents, but there is some evidence that they have a handful of guys in the minor league system who could be ready to contribute uh, as soon as next year, maybe even in September. We'll take a break. We'll talk to Dan Zimborski about that, about how the playoff odds over at Fangraphs look right now, uh, about a whole bunch of stuff around baseball. Also very, very curious how uh, his projection model zips is uh, going to handle you know, something like Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s Bizarro 2023 at his age and experience level, given how novel that is. And of course, the novel Alec Manoa situation. Uh, take a break. Dan Zimborski joins us as Jay's Talks Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. If you're uh, keeping an eye on Canada in the World Cup, that's over on Sportsnet, by the way. Canada leading France right now, 54-42, midway through the third quarter. It would be among the larger wins, certainly in pool play, uh, for the Canadian senior men's team over the years. Shea Gilgis-Alexander looking good. Canada could probably stand to uh, hit a three at some point, just in case, but they're holding up. Pretty well. Dan Schulman, Alvin Williams, uh, Rush, have the call for you 
over on Sportsnet. Daniel Michaud, uh, Sherman Hamilton, Michael Grange in studio for you. So we'll uh, we'll update you on that as that game continues on. Uh, looking looking not bad right now. Also not looking not bad. Uh, the Jays' outlooks for 2024, which probably does nothing but irritate you here a game and a half out of the wild card race in 2023 but it came up in a recent dan zimborski piece over at Fangraphs, so we will talk to dan zimborski about that now dan good morning how are you i'm pretty good how are you doing today i'm good i'm curious when you look at the playoff odds overall obviously all of us this isn't unique to you but we all spend so much time you know, setting the season up, evaluating these teams, uh, living and dying by, you know, every little win streak, every little burst. Uh, and then we look and we are 128 games of the way there. We're like four fifths of the way through. And there are still just so many teams in that like 50 to 70% range for the playoff odds. It obviously there are a couple teams who have been like, yep, we're in. And a couple teams who have been like, yep, were the Colorado Rockies or the Oakland A's, but there is still, after all this time, this big meaty middle that makes for good baseball down the stretch. But from a projection and analysis standpoint, is there a, a bit of frustration there? Well, no, because you, you don't get any plaudits for projecting a, <laughs> uh, a 99% probability being accurate. Like, yeah, it should have been, uh, you only get in trouble if it's wrong. So you, it, it's fun to have uncertainty because then you're kind of blameless. <laughs> I mean, that is uh, that's good. And and as we've you know we've had to do the probability explanation for how can every team have a sixty percent chance or how can all these teams? Well, if uh, you know if there were three teams and two spots, everyone would have a sixty-seven percent chance of getting in, and someone would be out. That's how these things work. Um, Dan, when you look at the specifics of these races, uh, the Baltimore Orioles and Tampa Bay Rays are up around 99% in their playoff odd projections, uh, Baltimore leading the division and then Tampa Bay with such a cushion on the other wildcard teams. They're looking fairly good, but then you look at the Toronto blue Jays, uh, the, whichever two teams in the AL West don't make it or don't win the division rather between the Astros Mariners and Rangers. This is a very, very tight race. Um, obviously those playoff odds are going to swing a little bit day to day, but how do you feel about the way that that wildcard race has shaped up and, you know, the recent hot streak for the Mariners versus the Rangers coming back down to earth versus the Jays kind of being this disappointing, slightly above average, the whole way, you know, kind of Pharaoh to finish here. How do you feel about how the wildcard race is shaping up here and what it looks like these last 30 games? Well, if you had asked me a month ago, I would have been significantly more confident that it would be the Blue Jays, uh, uh, the loser of the Orioles and the Rays, and the loser of Astros Rangers as the three wildcard teams. But the Mariners' surge has complicated that somewhat. Uh, now one of these teams that is, is playing or, you know, around 550 ball for the season, one of those teams is almost certainly not going to make the wild card short of a epic collapse by the Rays or the Orioles. Uh, and even the Red Sox, I mean, they haven't been like great at any point of the season, but they've kind of snuck back into the, the wild card picture back in July. And they're, you know, they're only a couple of games behind the Blue Jays right now. So even though they're not the favorite, uh, they are a plausible wild card team. So right now you're looking at basically three and a half teams going after two spots. And I still like where the Blue Jays are, but it's, it's far from a guarantee. It is. It's far from a guarantee. And, and you know, there is a, 
a stretch here where the Blue Jays are going to play 15 games against lesser competition. Um, how much does the strength, the remaining strength of schedule factor into these things? Like I, I know, you know, Blue Jays fans might look at it and be like, well, they've got 15 games coming up against, uh, you know, bottom uh, last place teams and the Cleveland guardians. Uh, maybe I feel more confident about that, but the 60% chance to make the playoffs already takes that into account, right? Correct. Uh, the, uh, when you see the fan graphs odds or when, or when zips does its own standings, that includes the strength of schedule. Uh, and there's, they're not really huge swings yet. Uh, you sometimes get hilariously huge swings. Then when you, when you get to the final weeks of the season, because then it's not really a distribution of, of teams. It's like one or two opponents. And when you get to the middle of September, it's not unusual to see like one team has a 600 strength of schedule remaining. Another team have like a 380 because they play the A's a bunch. Uh, the Blue Jays do have one of the lighter schedules, which is helpful to them, obviously. Uh, but I don't think it's a huge, huge factor at this point. Uh, like right now on Fangraphs, we had the Blue Jays with a 484 strength of schedule uh, for the average team they play, and the Rangers with a 518. You'd rather have the 484 than the 518, but it's not like a huge number of wins that, that can go back and forth from that. It's not. So that that's, uh, you know, the... American League wildcard race is going to be very, very fun to watch down the stretch here. Obviously, weird things can happen. The reason Tampa Bay and Baltimore aren't at 100% or, or Minnesota isn't at 100% is weird things can happen even in 30, 35 uh, game windows. If we look over at the National League, it is on the standings page an even bigger mess. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, Cincinnati Reds, San Francisco Giants, Arizona Diamondbacks, even the San Diego Padres, who I know you wrote about uh, this week at Fangraphs. That one is a messier one to, oh, the Miami Marlins as well in the mix. That one is a messier one to sort through. I think in part because while in the American League, all of those teams feel good, in the National League, most of those teams feel like they're not quite as good. Um, how does the NL wildcard uh, compare for you? Uh, yeah, you, you you look at the NL wild card, and there's not a lot of great teams in there. Every team in there is flawed in some way. The Cubs are not a particularly deep team. The Reds, uh, they have some pitching issues. Uh, the Phillies might be one of the strongest ones of them, and we do have them with the highest playoff odds right now from the from the projections. And the Padres are are, are are a fascinating team because they're playing so far below their run differential, and run differential tends to be a far better. Uh, predictor of future uh, performance than the actual record is, but the Padres have such a deficit that even if you're confident they're a really good team, they, they don't have enough calendar left. Uh, so I think the Padres are one of the teams I'd, I'd least like to face the playoffs because they have that, that, that first tier star level, which is pretty scary, uh, but the, their odds are getting pretty long. You also wrote this week in writing about the Padres that, you know, obviously they're disappointing this year and that is its own thing, but there is also a bit of a complicated future for them because they have pushed a lot of things to the middle of the table to get to this point, to build this team. Um, obviously some teams manage to do the we're all in and we're all in constantly and it works out kind of thing. You know, the Dodgers are headed for year 11 in a row of being in the playoffs while having a top farm system and an infinite budget. But the Padres aren't that. They don't operate on the budget the Dodgers have. Uh, they don't have, you know, the system quality the Dodgers have. In writing about why this, this future is complicated for the Padres, um, what particularly is going to be difficult for them the next little bit and, and what kind of timeline does that complication 
come in on because they decided to, you know, stick it out this year. They have a handful of free agents, but they still have a lot of these pieces locked up next year. Um, what is that balance going to be like for the Padres trying to stay win now and maximize this core without completely mortgaging their medium term future? Well, I mean, they are going to have to develop uh their, their farm system does seem to be bouncing back, but it has to bounce back quickly because they do have a lot less financial flexibility than they had before. Because uh, right now I looked at like at the time I looked at six players who they have signed for a very long time. Uh, and when you, I mean, we're talking about 2027, they already have spent $140 million uh, on, on players who are all going to be in the decline phase of their career, except for Tatis Jr., uh, so unless the team plans on spending 350 or 400 million, which I highly doubt, it's not going to be so easy to just aggressively go after you know the Xander Bogarts of next year's free agent or the Manny Machado of free agency two years from now. It, it's going to be really hard to do that. They're just going to run out of cash. Uh, Tatis Jr. is the is the only one who's likely still going to be in his prime for most of the deal, and it's a lot of money. And Soto is unsigned. Kim is unsigned. And you know, you if you took if you took Soto and Kim off this year's team, then they wouldn't be even in the playoff picture right now. Uh, but they wouldn't be that much cheaper. So they're going to have to be very clever with how they manage their finances. They're going to have to find more players like Cronenworth, underappreciated late twenties uh, guys who haven't really gotten a chance and hope they break out. That's they, they're not going to be able to pay retail too much longer on every need they have. That is something that has, you know, if you're a team with an infinite budget like the New York Yankees, you can continue to pay retail or even premium on guys. And that puts you in a more complicated spot as well. So, Dan, I don't I bring this up a little bit because Jays fans are going through right now. And maybe it'll be uh, helpful to hear that things could be worse, even though the Baltimore Orioles are, you know, in first place and have the number one system. And the Rays and Red Sox both have top 10 systems and are really good as well. Uh, We are we're grasping a little bit here. But your piece was also very sharp and a good kind of early autopsy on what's gone wrong with this New York Yankees team and what has gone wrong with this kind of era of the New York Yankees. The piece was called it's time to rebuild uh, the bombers. Where do we, where do we start here? If you are, if you are Brian Cashman or you are the, Brian Cashman replacement, let's say Derek Jeter. You have a lot of similarities to Jeter as it is. So maybe put yourself in a Jeter shoes here. Uh, where do you start with kind of re-navigating the New York Yankees organization? I think you have to kind of sell to ownership to, to sell the house Steinbrenner that a simple retool is going to be very, very hard to do at this point. Uh, because one of the problems of the Yankees in recent years is they've become reliant on more and more performance from fewer and fewer players. Uh, Air Judge and, and Garrett Cole made up a huge percentage of their expected war this season. Uh, Zips projected them going to the season at 89 wins, uh, a very close division from top to bottom, generally speaking. But there was that warning that the Yankees had the most downside of any AL East team because you lose a judge to injury, you lose Cole to injury. All of a sudden, it's they're like mini angels in that way. They're, they're more competent than the angels, but you lose one of those guys and suddenly they're the worst team in the AL East, which is kind of what's happened this year when they lost judge for a significant portion of the season. And, and they did not get Carlos Rodon very healthy at all. Uh, the, 
I don't think that the Yankees are in a position, either financially or a roster standpoint, where they can just sign a couple dudes in free agency, stick them in the lineup, and everything will be okay. Uh, I think if they want to have longer-term sustainability, they're going. They might have to have you know a week season or two while they look at some of the at, at some of their prospects in the high minors because they have a lot of shortstops there. They didn't have enough places to play everyone, so you saw uh, only Volpe make make the majors uh, extensively this year. Uh, but they're going to have to kind of change that unless they want to spend four hundred million dollars, which I don't think this Steinbrenner wants to do. Yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't know if he wants to either. And, and, you know, if you look at where the holes are for this coming year, you laid it out in your pieces like, hey, they're actually not losing that many pieces. Harrison Bader's a free agent. Uh, a couple of your I, I don't think anyone in New York will be too upset that Luis Severino's a free agent, for example. And then, you know, an Isaiah kind of Falefa, those, those kind of guys. But those are guys that you can replace internally or, or re-sign without breaking the bank. Um, but this is a front office that, like you said, they They've, they've tried to make splashes where they can, and those bets haven't always worked out. They have something like a billion dollars tied up in guys into their 30s. Now, having said all of that, something that feels Yankees-ish and feels like a fit given the free agent market, um, Josh Donaldson has a $16 million option for next year with an $8 million buyout. That's a massive buyout, but maybe you walk away from that. Uh, if the Yankees don't do what you are suggesting and kind of take a step back to take a longer view here. Um, would Matt Chapman make a lot of sense for you given what given, and I don't mean this in a negative way about Matt Chapman, but given the path that the Yankees have been on to get them here, something like, Hey, signing big money to a 30 year old third baseman as good as he is, doesn't really fit, you know, the timeline and where they're at. Does that seem like a move to you that this Yankees front office would probably make, even if it, you know, isn't in their best interest? Well, if you're not going to look at the at the future like two or three years from now, then you kind of have to make the best moves now, and it's whoever's available now. Uh, obviously, Shohei Otani has gotten a lot more alluring when you're talking the short term. And unfortunately, I'm I'm kind of annoyed with the baseball deities for that one. Yeah, uh, but Chapman would be a good fit. Uh, he he, they certainly after. You know, after uh, a season of Josh Donaldson, because he's not popular in New York, I think they'd be happy with pretty much anyone. I mean, they could probably bring Gary Gaetti out of retirement, and they'd probably be happy to have him over Donaldson. Oh, yeah, uh, that is probably the case. Dan, do we still have you? Yeah, you still are you okay. can hear me? Yeah, yeah, you just cut out a little bit there. Um, so, oh. so something else that came up in this piece that you wrote. Uh, again, it's over at Fangraphs. It's called It's Time to Rebuild the Bombers. A lot of good stuff in there. And one of the ways you set up the tough spot the Yankees are in is you looked at the projected standings using your zip system with only, hey, guys who teams have under contract or in the system and things like that. Let's assume no, every free agent goes to the national league. So it doesn't really affect the standings much is kind of the exercise here. And what does that look like? The Yankees project to be 83 and 79 under that model. Good ish, but not good enough. Given the expectations there, the most blue Jays relevant note, I think that came from that though, was not that the Yankees project as mediocre, but that using that system where, again, it's the free agents leave. So Matt Chapman, Whit Merrifield, Kevin Kiermaier, uh, those guys are outbound. Maybe Whit Merrifield's a part of it um, because of the option. But a lot of guys are outbound. You don't get the chance to replace them with free agents. You're just using 
players under your control. And using that system, the Blue Jays actually projected to be the top team in the American League East next year. Again, I know this doesn't keep anyone warm right now in a wild card race, but Dan, for posterity and for forward looking, why is it that uh, Zips is so encouraged about the future of the Toronto Blue Jays, even if the present is not the shiniest? Well, if you, if you look at them at, at the roster, yeah, you, you, you possibly lose Chapman under this, this scenario, but a lot of the pieces are still there and still fairly young. You still have Bo Bichette. You still have uh, a pretty decent catcher situation. You can still expect a better season from Varsho. You have David Schneider. You have George Springer. You have hopefully a better season from Vladimir Greer Jr. And they have a lot of interesting, uh, not I wouldn't say non-prospects in the high minors, but guys who are kind of, you know, could be league average players which have value but aren't really going to be stars. Uh, I, I think of players like Alan Roden, uh, for one. They're, they do have some depth there. And, you know, you still have Kevin Gosman, You still have Jose Barrios. Uh, Alec Manoa can't be worse. So there's, there are good things about the team. They do have kind of the skeleton of a, of a, of a really good team next year. Uh, so you can argue that they need a little less work than the other ALEs teams, although still replacements for players they lose would be nice. Yes, uh, certainly. You don't want to put everything on the shoulders of young guys coming up like Addison Barger, Ralvis Martinez, Spencer Horwitz. You mentioned Alan Roden. I know Rafael Antigua is someone that zips is pretty high on as well. But it is nice to have those options. I know you guys have done, you know, a lot of fan graphs. There was the, I think it was Jay Jaffe authored the replacement level killers series. And yeah, projecting to have no bad players is the first big step from there. The best thing for your projection is to have great players. Uh, I wonder, Dan, how Zips is feeling about the Jays ceiling options right now. Now on fan graphs, we can look at rest of season projections for guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And Bo Bichette. Bo has obviously delivered on, you know, everything you were kind of, he's been a little cool since he came off the IL, but we can give him some time there. He's been terrific on the, for the most part this year. Um, but when it comes to, what a Blue Jays ceiling could look like. Is Zip still optimistic that Vlad can get, probably not back to 2021 second and MVP race levels because our projection systems will regress too much uh, away from those. But where is Zips in terms of, hey, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is still very young. He has shown this very high level, but he hasn't shown it very much uh, this year and, and not as much last year either. Well, the good news is when you look at like the stat cast type data, they all think that based on how he's actually hitting the ball, he should have better numbers than, than, than he actually has. Uh, the, the stat cast one gives him an XBA, X batting average over 300, a slugging percentage over 500. The zips version of that, which is done slightly differently feels similarly. Cause when you, when you see a player's home run total collapse, there's usually signs when it sticks. Like, you know, they're not hitting the ball as hard. They're hitting a ton more ground balls or, or just something like that. But that's not actually the case with him. He actually has a, a higher hard hit rate than he had last year. Uh, his, his exit velocity is, is faster than it was in 2022. So you can actually say he's hitting the ball at least as well as he was in 2022. And those numbers were significantly better. A, a 480 slugging percentage versus 433. Uh, so even if you don't think he can get back to 2021, there's no reason he can't be an elite ish slugger uh, again. 
Uh, now, I do think that it's probably time to talk to him about being a designated hitter. Hmm. Uh, his, 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 his defense at first has been, let's just be nice and say meh. But uh, I, I think that the bat will likely come back. And people forget, he's not an old player. He's going to be 25 uh, uh, next, early next year. Yeah, he's got some. He's got some time. He's got some indicators. It's nice to be refreshed on that. Of course, if he moves off of first base, even if he stays at first base and is remotely decent there, you know, being at that position on the defensive spectrum, it's going to hurt your WAR projection a little bit. But nice to hear that uh, there are at least statistical indicators that the bat will come back around. Even Zip's rest of season projection uh, for Vlad still sees him hitting six more home runs down the stretch, which is uh, more than he'd be on pace for here. So that's encouraging. Uh, Dan, before I let you go, we we kicked around some of those prospect names that Zips is optimistic about um, looking at the the AAA data and things like that. Is there a name from that group uh, that, that you really like, whether it's Roden, Lantigua, you know, the more established names like, like Barger and Martinez? Is there a guy from that group that stands out to you as someone, hey, I'm really interested to see what this guy would look like at the major league level? Uh, Aramis Martinez is is definitely one that that, that really interests me. Uh, you've seen his his batting average in AAA um, being much improved, uh, and Zips was kind of against the the grain quite a bit earlier this year because in the Zips top 100 prospects list, Martinez was right there near the top. Uh, Zips definitely. Uh, ranked him significantly higher than any of the prospect watchers did. Uh, ranked him fifth in baseball, uh, which was a very, very aggressive projection. Hmm. So I am curious because you know every every analyst likes to look smart over looking stupid. Uh, so I, I I would like to look smart in this case, uh, to, you know, because there are going to be times I look stupid, and I need I need somebody's wins to cancel that out. Hey, a, a projection system looking and saying like, look, this guy was 20 years old at double A last year and hit a billion home runs. Uh, yeah, we're optimistic he has enough time to figure some of the other stuff out. And now looking at him and being like, yeah, he's 21 at triple A and his walk and strikeout rates improved and the power is still there. I completely understand why a, a projection system would be optimistic about him. Uh, I lied, Dan. I have one more for you just because it's it's fascinating to me. Uh, the Padres have elevated 17 year old Ethan Salas to double A already. Uh, is a 17 year old moving through the minors this quickly and reaching double a already. Like, is that going to, I mean, what do you even do with that from a projection standpoint? Because he's like seven years younger than the average player at that level. Well, I, I kind of curse a little bit when, when, when someone without a lot, when someone gets, when someone gets promoted that aggressively, uh, because generally speaking, you get a lot more value from, high minor data than low minor data. Uh, at least it's not just college data to work with. Uh, we'll have something. But I do believe that teams, you want to challenge your best young talent. And at Salas was very, very good in the California League. Uh, and, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, but you, you do want to challenge your young players. And it's very rare to see a player that young in, in, in that high in the uh, minors. Uh, one example was Will Cordero was the last one who was in double a that young. And that was a long time ago. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was way back. And I don't know that uh, our projection systems, uh, I mean, you would know better than me, but yeah, going back and using uh, data from the late 80s, I don't know is super helpful for projecting ahead here. But hey, maybe we have to make a paradigm shift here because teams seem to be getting uh, a lot more aggressive with their position player prospects, elevating them. Uh, Dan Zaborski, that is very fun to think about. Fun to think about Aralvis and uh, Ethan Salas and a number of other Jays guys, Ethan Salas, of course, a Padre, not a Blue Jay. Um, thanks for taking the time out this morning, man. Looking very much forward to refreshing the playoff odds, even though they don't update until the morning, because that's how my brain works. And I got to see a 59.8 <laughs> will round up to 60 at some point, you know? Yes. Uh, always fun. Thanks for having me. Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs. Make sure you go over there. Check out all his great work, all their great work. You can read a little bit more about that Yankee situation and some of those 2024 projections. And again, I know 2024 projections now is not necessarily the time to talk about that a ton and be optimistic about it. But I do think it speaks additionally to the idea Keegan and I were kicking around, which is that there are guys at AAA who could contribute at a major league level right now. If Zips is projecting them to be, you know, non-replacement level killers as soon as next year, you could probably turn to one of those guys and get a few plate appearances out of them down the stretch. Seems likely the, the Blue Jays will go their Ernie Clement or Nathan Lucas route, which is justifiable as well. You know, they're not going to be giving starting reps to whoever comes up. Nathan Lucas has a pinch run and defensive replacement value. Ernie Clement plays every position except for catcher and center field, including pitcher. Um, there are arguments for that, but it's interesting to hear that um, data-wise, there are already some encouraging signs that guys could contribute now. Also encouraging, uh, Canada is steamrolling France now, by the way. 85-52 with a couple minutes to go. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, at least from what I can see out of the corner of my eye while we're doing this show, is... Uh, an absolute monster against France. This would stand as not only one of the biggest, given the quality of competition and the score, but given the stakes, one of the largest major tournament wins in Canadian men's basketball history. This is uh, the top team in Canada's group, a team that was a top five favorite to win the entire event. And Canada is beating them by 33 right now. It would also mean Canada is in good position. You obviously got to play the games. You got to play Latvia on Sunday. You got to play uh, Lebanon on Tuesday, but Canada would be in a good position to finish top of the group if they can beat France. Uh, also, your win total and your point differential carry over to the next round. So kind of important there too. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure Dan Schulman is having a blast on the call and then he's going to, you know, triple up. He did the game, the Jays game last night. He's doing this one. He's doing uh, the Jays game later tonight. He's a machine. I have a feeling if we asked him about it, he would say that the energy this game is providing uh, and this big a win for Canada is all the fuel he needs. It's not all the fuel I need. I need a timeout here. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, get to some of the mailbag questions that have been left over uh, over the course of the week. We'll also talk to Andre Knott uh, of Bali Sports Cleveland as we continue to tee up a series and a team that we just saw a couple weeks ago, but has been going through it uh, since we last saw them. All that's next in the second hour of Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, uh, Canada, two minutes from wrapping up uh, an absolute blow to France in the FIBA World Cup. So that's cool. Uh, you can make sure you're checking all that out on sports at 545 Sunday morning is the next game. So if you want to get up nice and nice and nice and nice and early uh, Tuesday, they'll play at 930 a.m. again. 
pretty fun to see Canada doing this against one of the world powerhouses, even if, uh, yeah, even if some people thought maybe this team, this France team came in a a tiny bit overrated, still a top five program in the world in Canada, putting the hurt on them. It's been a long time coming for this Canadian senior men's team. This is a really good first step. Maybe it motivates the Toronto Blue Jays and they see, hey, Canada scored 90 points against what was supposed to be one of the top defenses. You know what would probably be cool also? Scoring runs. Uh, We'll see if they can do that against the Cleveland Guardians. They scored just seven against them over a four-game set last time they saw them two weeks back. Cleveland dropped eight of 12 since then, and teams have been hitting against them. Uh, The Jays will see three pitchers who they saw last series, Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Noah Syndergaard. The Jays will counter, respectively, with Chris Bassett, Hyunjin Ryu, and Yusei Kikuchi. Lots of text in the text line from throughout the week. A couple of you uh, wrote whole essays. Uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm not reading all that. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you or congratulations. Uh, I'm not, not going through all of it. Uh, in seriousness, though, uh, Veronica from Scarborough says Jays have five people batting under 200 in August and uh, a whole bunch with an OPS below 90. Belt Varsho Springer have been carrying the offense a little bit. Uh, how do you even create a lineup that functions when this many guys are slumping? I mean, this is the challenge for John Schneider. Part of it is, honestly, you hope that enough guys are hot at the right time to make up for guys slumping. That hasn't been the case. I think there is a little bit of value in tinkering. Um, if it's someone like Bo Bichette, you're not tinkering. You trust the larger sample of work there. Uh, he's fresh off the IL. He'll probably figure it out. Um, you were you moved George Springer down in the lineup. You moved Dalton Varsha down in the lineup. Those guys started to find it. I wouldn't hate the idea of George Springer coming back up in the lineup since Whit Merrifield has been been cold for a little bit here. Um, but Veronica, your your question is the you know the biggest challenge John Schneider faces day to day right now and in general with this team. And it's that not enough guys are hitting. And even if you like the defensive value or base running value, some of those guys provide, you can't have a lineup full of guys who are struggling a little bit. Brian in Toronto. Uh, asks, what do I, what did I think of removing Brios given his pitch count? Uh, would you have removed Jansen for disciplinary reasons on the running play? Uh, I wouldn't have removed Jansen. That that's a, a really tough one. So for anyone who missed it or, or forgets in the seventh inning, uh, nobody on base Jay's trailing by two. Danny Jansen tries to stretch a double into a triple. Um, Danny Jansen does not have the legs to do that. The way the ball was bobbled a little bit or, or not tracked down particularly well. You thought maybe there was a chance the play was bang, bang, but yeah, if you're Danny Jansen, I know you're trying to make something happen. You're trying to give your team a boost. It's certainly not benchable because the reasons for trying to do that are, are good ones, but you don't need one base to that degree at that point. You are playing for a little bit more than just one run. Um, the value of that out once you're on second base is so massive. It, it was a mistake. There's no way around it. I don't think it's a benchable mistake, but uh, yeah, it's uh, hey man, stay within yourself. Trust the guy after you to get the job done. That's tough right now. Not a lot of guys are hitting like you guys have uh, pointed out in the text line, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. It was a tough one. Uh, Simon and Shelburne says the Jays are too aggressive pitcher with almost a five ERA, basically 10 pitches an inning, uh, no plate awareness, no consistent approach. Now, Simon, so within this, yes, they were hyper-aggressive last night. Uh, it's a guy that throws six pitches and he'll mix them around. So maybe he's a guy you want to sit back and be a little more passive against. Um, however, I would say with no consistent approach, if you are criticizing that everyone went up there and was 
aggressive. I mean, that is a consistent approach. You can disagree with the with the approach, but we've heard the Jays talk about how they want to be more aggressive. Um, it, that doesn't necessarily mean jumping on the first pitch. It means low identifying an area of the zone or a pitch and, you know, waiting for that, being aggressive within that. Uh, it's a tough balance, and the Jays have not executed that well for big parts of the season. Bo Bichette has said he thinks that's a part of why they've struggled in leverage spots and with runners in scoring position. Um, so I'm with you. It, it was frustrating. You never want to see a pitcher cruise into the seventh inning without getting his pitch count up. Um, it's frustrating, but I don't, you know, it's the old Bo Bichetteism when he was cold last year. Is You don't want to take away what makes at least as far as the aggressive hitters on the Blue Jays are concerned, Bo Bichette is one of those guys, George Springer against fastballs. Um, if you are successful being aggressive in a specific way, you don't want a guy to get away from that too much. It's a tough balance. And there are some Blue Jays who are not very good being hyper-aggressive. So those are the guys that certainly your, uh, your complaint there holds. Uh, by the way, the Canada-France game is over now. Canada's won 95-65. One of the biggest wins this men's program has ever put together beating a, a world top five by 30 points and a very very important game in terms of pool play and making sure they punch their ticket to the next round and perhaps beyond a lot of basketball left to play but could not be a better and more emphatic first step there uh, we'll keep an eye on that tournament on game days as well uh, and dan schulman doing the double duty we'll, we'll monitor his fatigue uh, as well uh, someone else Text it in. Make sure you sign them and give your location so we can shout you out. Um, I Someone suggests sitting Vlad and Chapman. Give regular bats to Davis Schneider and and let Belt play first. Uh, that is just not going to happen. It's like, look, you could you could justify giving them the odd day off. This is the tough part with Vlad and, and you know, expectations and disappointment with him is still that even in what's become a very cold August, he's still been a league average hitter. They're not, and him getting going would mean so much to the offense. They're just not going to take him out other than an off day here and there. So we don't need to entertain the idea. It's not going to happen with Matt Chapman. You could get there a little bit because the slump is extended and the, the hitting has been quite a tough go for a couple weeks now. And really, if you go back to after his hot April, you know, some of the batted ball stuff still there, but the results really haven't been, you could get there more. But the Blue Jays have more or less told us they don't want to take his glove out of the lineup. So the odd day here and there, sure. But us entertaining questions of Vlad coming out of the lineup together, like it's it's not worth thinking about. It's not worth discussing because they're not going to do it. Um, Troy and Lloydminster asks, what do we mean by the Blue Jays being more aggressive? Um, they have guys that love to swing at the first pitch and it hasn't worked out well this season. Being aggressive on the basis has got them thrown out. Um, they need to play more heads up. So... Troy, um, aggression means a couple different things. You know, when we talk about Bo Bichette being aggressive at the plate, it's not go up swinging. It's go up, and if you are looking for a fastball from that pitcher and you get a fastball first pitch, you jump on that fastball. If you get a slider and you have to take a strike, sit back. You don't have to be aggressive out of your approach in a 0-0 count or early in a count. Um, on the bases, same kind of thing is you want a defense to feel your pressure, but in a game situation where one extra base is not nearly as valuable as the cost of that potential out and you are not a guy with wheels, you need to weigh that a little differently. Aggression means different things to different players and in different situations. Um, basically, to me, aggression is you don't want to be, you don't want the other team being comfortable playing against you. 
And that's where aggression comes in. And that's what makes a Bobachet tough to pitch against, even when he's, you know, not in a cold stretch, but he's only been about a league average bat since coming back from the IL. Um, so yeah, it's, it's situational and it's specific to each person and their game plan, which makes it hard to measure on mass as a team. Certainly, I don't think the base running aggression has paid off for them very well this year. Uh, but some of the stuff at the plate, you know, it it works for some guys and it doesn't work for other guys. I, I don't think, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a guy who, when he's super aggressive early in counts, has not had the most success. You don't want Vlad to lay off fastballs entirely. That's been a part of his struggles. But yeah, there have been a couple frustrating first pitch at bats. Um, these things mean different things to different players and situations, which, uh, yeah, makes it a little hard to evaluate sometimes. Um, Justin and Barry ask, if Chapman can't get his back going, could you move Merrifield to third and Schneider or Biggio at second? I think they'd do the opposite. They'd leave Merrifield at second. Um, I don't think Biggio or Schneider project as particularly good third baseman, but they are have played there more recently and more frequently than Whit Merrifield. Um, their late game substitutions have suggested to us they like Merrifield's defense at second better than Biggio and Schneider as well. Um, obviously, they prefer Espinal the most of that group, but I think what they would do if they were going to do that is Schneider or Chapman would play third and Merrifield would play second. Uh, Brandon from Keswick says, thinks the Jay think the Jays could potentially sweep the series against Cleveland. If the hitters step up or can the hitters step it up now, Brandon, I sure hope so, man. It's uh Monday show is not going to be a lot of fun. If they score five runs over three games against uh, Cleveland and can't get to Noah Syndergaard again, Cody in Toronto says he's become a lot happier watching Vlad since he stopped considering to be a, an elite player. Um, because other than that one year, there's no reason to expect that. Uh, I mean, that's fair. I think it's a really tough mental shift and expectation shift for people to apply because again, that year is not that year happened and it's not that far behind us. And as much as people point to different ballparks and things like that, even in Toronto, even in other MLB parks that was there, that's not that long ago. The old Bill James saying of once you display a skill, you own that skill. Uh, yeah. Good for you, Cody, for changing that. But I, I understand that people can't uh, make that transition entirely themselves. Ryan from Stony Creek asks, what do the players need to hear or do to buck this trend of struggling with average pitchers? Uh, is the approach wrong? Lack of confidence because performance against these guys uh, and Ryan lays out a couple other things. Uh, I wish I had a better answer for you. You know, Arden suggested yesterday that it is tougher to game plan for a junk baller type like a, uh, Kyle Gibson or a Dean Kramer who throws six different pitches and, you know, let, let's lay it out this way. Let's say Hunter green comes in and you know, he's going to elevate a fastball or throw a slider low and away. Those are both incredibly difficult pitches to hit, but mentally maybe you can focus in on those two things. If he throws something else, it's a low percentage thing. You, you tip your cap and that is difficult. Well, the Jays have done better against that type of guy. Maybe there's, there's something to being able to isolate in on fewer pitches and fewer execution zones is easier for this particular group. than Kyle Gibson throws six different pitches. He will, with the exception of the sinker that he, that he executes low every time he will throw those pitches in a bunch of different places. So suddenly you're looking at 11 different pitch and location combinations and the sequencing is difficult. Maybe there's something in that. Um, at the same time, Kyle Gibson came in with a 498 ERA. Dane Kramer came in with a 450 ERA. You are supposed to be a playoff team. You are supposed to be a high-powered offensive team. You got to figure that out. And, you know, I, I would understand if it's more difficult and game plan, you know, the talent allows you to hit guys like Hunter Green and Eduardo Rodriguez, but the game plan maybe doesn't let you stay on top of the Kyle Gibsons and Dean Kramers as well. I would understand that, but I would think the Blue Jays have told us 
enough times that, hey, we're a good offense, that the expectation should be you figure it out. That was a seventh time you've seen Dean Kramer last two years. That was a third time you saw Kyle Gibson this year. Um, I, I don't know. Even if it's more difficult, uh, yeah, I don't care. I would still like to see uh, better results there. Uh, Chris and Guelph said, Vladdy is a gold glove first baseman. His struggles at the plate, I think, are spilling over to his defense. Um, if the bat comes around, the D will follow. Chris, I, I think... In this case, there is probably something that is, I think it's likelier that something is affecting both his offense and his defense, then he's not hitting well and that's causing poor defense. If it were me and I were not hitting well, I feel like that would be impetus for my defense to get even better because I feel like I want to contribute more. That is something I am more in control of than where batted balls fall and things like that. Certainly possible. There's a mental component. The reality is, though, here, Chris, and and I don't want to discount first base defense entirely. It's just not that important. Even when he was a gold glove first baseman, you know, that's not changing the Jays' outlook a ton. Um, If those things are related, I would heavily suggest that Vlad just focus on the offensive side uh, because first base defense isn't isn't that big a factor. It's nice to have, but it's a bonus. You've got to be able to hit at at that position, and you've got to be able to um, hit period. If you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr., this team's offense needs it uh, too badly. That offense did not come through against the Cleveland Guardians. Maybe it will this time. We're going to take a break. We'll see what Andre Knott thinks of Bally Sports Cleveland. He helped us tee up the series last time around. Uh, It was a lot of fun. He also had a Josh Naylor is not traveling to Toronto for this series. He's still in the aisle with an oblique strain, but him and Andre Knott uh, chopped it up this week in in a really fun way. We'll see how the Canadian Naylor brothers are doing in Cleveland as well. And we'll tee up Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Noah Syndergaard. That's next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's start a three-game set tonight down at Rogers Center against the Cleveland Guardians. Chris Bassett against Tanner Bybee tonight. You saw Tanner Bybee last time around. You saw Logan Allen last time around. You saw Noah Syndergaard last time around. You did not see the Blue Jays doing much of anything against those guys. Those three starters allowed two earned runs over 17 and two thirds innings. We'll uh, continue to tee that one up when we connect with Andre Knott of Bally Sports Cleveland. Uh, For now, we've got more in the text line, though. um, So... Adam from Ancaster asks, curious your thoughts on the Jays' advanced scouting or lack thereof versus opponents this season. Uh, just seems other teams have the book on the Jays and they're playing a bit of a guessing game. I mean, I'm not in the room, I, I, so I, I don't know that. We also had a question on Twitter. Um, I forget the person's name. I'm sorry about whether, you know, the analytics department has too much of a, a say in things. I think maybe there would be an argument there of too many voices in their ears. But analytics is not some boogeyman. This team doesn't hit like an analytics-driven team anyway, uh, approach-wise. I think, yeah, maybe they're a team that has some holes that makes them a little easier to game plan for. Uh, They do have a hitting coach, another hitting coach, a hitting strategist, um, a voice that helps communicate from the analytics department on that coaching staff, et cetera. They have the, the tools there, whether it's video guys or mechanical guys, a couple different voices they can go to. Um, hard to diagnose exactly what's not clicking there from here. I know some people point to, you know, Guillermo Martinez or, or Dave Hudgens or, or whoever, um, 
you know, from the outside, it, it can be a little hard to identify specifically what. But yeah, I think the the point of your comment that they are a little bit easier to game plan for than maybe some of their opponents, uh, there's a little bit of evidence to that. Pitchers seem to come up with a, a pretty good game plan against them. Hugh from Winnipeg asks, how do you really get the bats going? Is it mechanical or is it just guys having the the tools and skills and knowledge on their own to figure it out this point in the season? Yeah, I think it's more the latter than like I, I would worry unless you identify something significant. You know, I don't know that a hitting coach would want guys tweaking their swings a ton this late in the season. We've obviously seen it have some success. Dalton Varsho moving from the, the leg kick to the toe tap, for example. Um, it, it can help and you're always making small changes as I understand it. But yeah, I think this is more, Hey, guys have 125 games under the belt. A lot of these guys are veteran guys. You know how to figure it out. It's just a matter of, of doing it now. Uh, yeah. And it's a, it's a tough task you because they're running out of time, but obviously the base talent level with the individuals on this team are, uh, are enough. Uh, Matt in Toronto says if they don't sweep this series this weekend, it's over, put a fork in them. Uh, the most consistent thing all year has been fans eating 50,000 hot dogs. Uh, yeah, I don't think if they get swept, they're done entirely. Like, you know, worst case scenario, they'd be four and a half out. I don't think they're going to get swept either. This isn't a very good Cleveland team. Uh, but yeah, it would lead to a September of pretty negative talk, I think. And then maybe an early start on the uh, on the offseason chatter. They have to make the most of this 15 game stretch against lesser competition. And look, don't get me wrong. I know that we, we are potentially headed for, they beat up on these five series against lesser teams. And then it ends up that you're not convinced and Hey, you want to see it against better teams would totally be justifiable. Nonetheless, you need it in the standing. So yeah, if you're talking about Matt, if you're talking about getting swept by Cleveland, that would be a disaster. If you're talking about not winning every one of these series, that would really hurt you in the wild card race, especially once you turn to once you turn to uh once you turn to the tougher part of your schedule again. Um I think we're having some trouble connecting with Andre. We might just have to move on from that one. Um so we'll just continue to to mailbag it through the end of the show here. We'll also tee up uh this series a little bit more for you. So um, continue with the mailbag. We'll get, we'll get back to Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen and Noah Syndergaard momentarily here. Uh, Daryl from Toronto uh, says Jay's lineup decisions is where we're at. Uh, if they're struggling, they called up Schneider for the Red Sox series team had a spark since he, since then he's rode the bench, play him more uh, unreal. This team gets further away from the leaders. So Daryl. Yeah. I mean, look, it was really nice that David Schneider gave them that boost. I think he should be getting it. If he's on the roster, you've made that decision over, you know, the flexibility of keeping a Paul DeYoung who didn't have options. You've made that decision over, um, you know, a more pinch run and defense oriented guy and Nathan Lucas. Uh, yeah. If he's on the roster, you should be playing him more. And there's a chicken or the egg to this as well. He's also two for his last 17. And that is tough because he's played very, very sporadically. He had cooled off in that Cleveland series and went 0 for 9 in that series, had three walks still. Um, but, you know, we talk about our, is the book out on a guy? He was getting hammered with a steady dose of high velocity. Again, I'd still like to see him in there if he's on the roster and given what he's shown with the bat. He obviously swung a, a game for you in a major way on Saturday when he was in there. So, yeah, if he's on there, if he's on the roster, you should getting something out of them at least more than once a week or so. Uh, Jay in Montreal says, can't blame Jansen for the split second decision. Uh, 
what he should be blamed for is the lack of hustle out of the box. Unforgivable given the circumstances. I mean, it's a tough one because, yeah, ideally you'd like everyone burning it out of the box. Off the bat, he probably thought that's a stand-up double and, and you could pace yourself with that. But yeah, this time of year and especially come playoff time or, or as the wildcard race tightens, you don't want to leave even .001 percentage of a, of a chance up to chance. It you, You've got to execute every possible thing within your control and how you run out of the box is that. Um, and that is true for everyone. Um, Mike in Toronto. Yeah. I'm going to skip the, the Vlad in shape stuff. I mean, we're in, even if, even if there were some concerns about how you showed up and he wouldn't be the only one, I think uh, that that was a talking point for this year. Um, you still we're five months in the season. Now that should be something you've been able to round out of or, or resolve. Um, Joe in North York said, I thought Schneider's comments ahead of the easiest part of the schedule were weak and made him look like a rookie. Uh, deliver that message before you play a real team. <laughs> I, I get that, but also you don't choose the schedule. Like if I, I benefit of the doubt, if these next couple games were against Tampa Bay and Baltimore again and Minnesota and Texas, you'd probably say the same thing because the question was more about where they are in the standings than like the question that was asked of him was more about where they are in the standings than it was about, Hey, you're about to play five easy teams. Do you want to fire your team up? Um, you know, it, you don't control who you play. Yes. They should have that same attitude when the schedule turns more difficult again, and they're playing teams like Tampa Bay down the stretch. Absolutely. But John Schneider, Joe didn't pick what teams are ahead of them here. Um, and the Jay he's, right that the Jays need to have a sense of urgency regardless of who they're playing right now. The the playoff situation is tenuous. There's not much uh, around that. Um, Mark and Alora says, do you think given the down year, the Jays should push to try to sign Vlad long-term at a better price than it would have been possible before? Um, Mark, I think this is probably one where Vlad just doesn't engage with that. Like I, I get what you're saying. You know, there is more data that says Vlad is this level and not this level now. Maybe that gives you more common ground for uh, an extension. You know, his next arbitration number doesn't go up as much as maybe we expected. And that's a different negotiating point. If I were Vlad and Vlad's camp and I still have two more arbitration years before free agency, I'd probably want to do the bet on myself thing and try to run it back and negotiate off of a, a more favorable season. Uh, Chuck from Barry wants Schneider to move Bo to cleanup and put Springer at leadoff with in the second spot. Um, so the tough part about this is, you know, we've talked a little bit about on, on this show that batting order optimization doesn't actually have a huge impact. You know, you can, you can have your preferences and guys have preferences or fans have preferences or whatever, and, and you can find ways to justify a lot of different things. Over the course of a season, over the course of a month, over the course of a series, the primary thing that matters is getting your best hitters up the most often. And the difference between your, if you consider Bo the team's best hitter, which he has not been since he came back off the IL, but I think on the for the season on a whole, we could probably agree that he's been their best hitter. Um, you want him getting up as much as possible. And the difference between hitting second in the order and fourth in the order is about 25 plate appearances over the course of the season. So you look at the remaining part of the season, that's an extra four or five Bobachette plate appearances that you'd be losing out if you slide him 
down in the order a couple spots. Um, as for moving Vlad down, yeah, you could justify that a little bit more. It, you know, the key might be getting someone who's hot, who can hit in that four spot. Um, the other issue with Witt and the two spot Chuck is that he hasn't hit particularly well the last little while either, um, as he's obviously you, you trust the sample of work with him as well, but you... He hasn't been particularly effective of late. I don't know that you want to put him in an even higher leverage spot, which the two spot is uh, relative to uh, the one spot. Al from Niagara asks, do I believe the Jays can catch the Rays now or too late now? Just focus on the last wildcard spot. I mean, they could catch the Rays. The reason I think that is they have a bunch of games left against the Rays. So, you know, it's, it's an easier thing to picture than the division say, even though the games gap is large. You are in control of that gap a little bit more when you play the Tampa Bay Rays. Realistically, though, I think you're just focused on getting a playoff spot at this point. The division is gone for the most part, like nine and a half games with 34 to go is very, very difficult. Catching the first wild card is it's great because you get to host those wild card games, but it also locks you into a tougher opponent than the third wild card is. And I'm not suggesting you tank for the third wild card because you're obviously not close enough to be able to do that. Um, but you, yeah, the focus is just on the playoffs at this point. Um, you can't get too, you can't get too picky with it when the season's gone the way it was, which is disappointing because coming into this year, the division absolutely should have been the goal. Uh, George from Hamilton says, if they don't make the playoffs, Atkins should go. It's his team. Just like Dubas. Um, yeah, I mean, they're very different things. We're talking about a capped environment with a star-heavy core locked up where the cap didn't expand versus, uh, you know, you're working under a corporate budget, but it's not a capped league. And, you know, there's the farm system to consider and all that stuff. I think, yeah, the pressure is on everyone. I think the pressure should have been on them entering this year. We talked about at the trade deadline that there should be some pressure felt there given the urgency here. Um, and it was an okay, but not enough trade deadline. Um, I don't know that anyone's going to lose their job over it, but yeah, the expectations for this team were bigger than where they are right now. It was to win a division. It was to make a big playoff run. The big playoff run is still possible, even though it seems less likely right now. And that's what they should be measured by. They shouldn't be measured by, well, in August, they were out of a playoff spot and then they came back. No, they should be measured by the fact that coming into this year, the stated goal and the obvious goal, given where they had gone incrementally over the last couple of years and given what they'd spent on this team was a good playoff run. You don't spend the fifth or sixth most money in baseball and be happy with a, a quick out in the wild card round. So yeah, that's uh, that's where the bar should be. Ryan and Hamilton says uh, the horses aren't being horses. Chapman and Guerrero can't hit 92 right down the pipe. Uh, all the pieces are there pitching and defense. The, the top guys need to perform no additional analysis needed. Ryan, I agree for the most part. Uh, I have 10 hours a week to fill as much as this week has focused on Vlad stuff. I don't know that it would be a very entertaining 10 hour week. If uh, I stopped and started with that, we got to do more analysis than that. But yeah, this look, this is, you want to really hammer that home. Look at what the Seattle Mariners done have done over the last month. The Blue Jays and the Mariners have almost identical ERAs. They have almost identical WRC pluses, which again is our catch all offensive stat that adjusts for ballpark factors and things like that. Those two teams have been almost identical on the pitching side and the hitting side. Why has Seattle been so much better? Some of it is random. Some of it is maybe quality competition. Also, Julio Rodriguez has been the best player in baseball over that stretch, and he's gone absolutely bananas. And that changes how games go. That changes how games feel. That changes how the rest of the lineup feels, I'm sure. That changes the confidence pitchers pitch with. There is a huge cascading effect to one of your stars going on an absolute heater. We saw that a little bit last year. 
Bobachet went on a heater down the stretch, and he was arguably the best hitter in baseball over August and September. Um, you go back to 2020, and the Jays' entire offense was like the hottest offense in baseball. We've seen evidence that that stuff has a real impact, and, and that your stars playing like stars is important uh, beyond just you know, hey, what is the team's batting average and slugging uh, percentage look like? Pug in Peterborough says. Uh, Whole city, including media, has turned on Vlad, yet no one talks about Springer's disaster contract, Kirk or Chapman. Uh, I don't know what show you're listening to. That's uh, that's it. I don't know. We, When George Springer was struggling a lot, that was a constant conversation. Last year, the conversation was a lot about moving him to right field because the defense had declined and he wasn't staying healthy enough. We talked a ton about his cold streak. Um, Alejandro Kirk has gone from a guy that people were advocating for to get every DH day against left-handed pitching to just being a part-time catcher uh, who is defense first. Like, I don't, again, I don't know what show you're listening to uh, to text that in during this show. Uh, Nobody has turned on Vlad, maybe the odd fan or whatever. But when a guy who was second in MVP voting two years ago becomes just a guy, it is worth exploring. And to the last person's question, a lot of times how your stars perform you know, has a real impact on how things go for you. So again, not sure what you're listening to, but that feels like a lot of uh, projection on your part, Pug. Um, but you're also, I think, the same guy who was texting and arguing with the other guy the other day about Vlad stuff. Uh, again, you guys just need to go grab a pint and hash that out between yourselves. Um, Andrew Muskoka asks, if it's time to burn a game, give the younger and bench players a game and put the struggling players on the bench to light a fire. Andrew, I get what you're saying there. I think the playoff race is probably too tight. Uh, I think... You know, a game like that can work out. Message received. You know, the the good the young guys come through and things like that. I think if it backfires, you have just kind of shown a vote of no confidence in your main guys, and you've fallen a game further out of the playoffs. But I think that run, that one runs a little bit the risk of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Wouldn't mind on a kind of rotating basis. Uh, you know, a guy get you know, hey, Matt Chapman's really struggling, and we want to give him a, a day down here. Or Whit Merrifield's cold. Or hey, Vlad, your finger hurts. Sit one game out this series. I don't mind that, but doing a whole day like that, um, I think the margins right now are a, a little too slim for that. Uh, Billy from St. Catharines asks about playing a little small ball, dropping down a bunt in tight games. Billy, for a bunt to be worthwhile, you have to get runners in scoring position, and the Blue Jays cannot do that right now. Uh, they have had three batters and runners in scoring position over the last two games combined. There has not been a situation where a bunt would have really made sense. Um, you know, a- analytics-wise, there are not very many situations in general where, where trading off the out makes a lot of sense, uh, especially when you factor in, you know, that who the Jays would be asking to bunt are guys that, you know, have a little bit of pop in their bat and things like that. I, I tend to be more friendly to the bunt than uh, the analytics generically might suggest. Um, there are more situations, especially if you're the home team, you know, especially if it's a series like the Guardian series where you have a, a sense it's going to be pretty low scoring. I can get there with it a little bit more. The other issue is, other than Varsho and Kiermaier, I don't know that anyone on this team is a very good bunter. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of sample of it. We know Varsho and Kiermaier can get one down. We know, for example, Santiago Espinal is a very bad bunter historically. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen Alejandro Kirk try to lay one down, really. Um, Brandon Belt can do that cheeky bunt for a single thing, but he's hitting third in the order and has hit a bunch of home runs lately. You're not asking him to bunt. So, um, you know, generally, if the game situation calls for it, you know, runner on second, nobody out, tie game, sure, get that guy over. Uh, But they don't have a ton of bunters, and those situations really haven't come up a lot lately. 
Scott from Clinton asks, is there a reason the Jays haven't fired the hitting coaches? Yeah, because changing coaches in the middle of the season um, probably doesn't have a ton of effect. You know, it, the work you do all through spring training, the relationships you have with players, the knowledge you have of their swings and their tendencies and stuff like that, that is a long-term relationship and a long-term skill set. I think all of those guys will probably be under the microscope in the off season. Uh, but I don't think you see a lot of hitting coach and pitching coach changes on the fly. And when you do, it tends to be like the New York Yankees where you're reaching and it doesn't have an impact whatsoever heading into the off season. Absolutely. Every one of those guys is, uh, is under the microscope, but to bring in a fresh voice, unless it happens to be someone who's been really, really locked in on the blue Jays this year and knows these guys and things like that. It's hard to, it'd be a very tall task to ask of, uh, of the new hitting coach. Uh, Dan from Japan. Wow. Sweet. Shout out to Dan from Japan. Uh, I know Chapman is great defensively, but he was outplayed all series by Urias. Uh, all I hear is his bat has gone cold recently. Recently. Are you kidding me? It's been cold since the end of April. Um, yeah, Dan, look, he's, he's had a tough go since the end of April. Certainly uh, the stretch that I have been highlighting lately is I, I think he's up to about 50 plate appearances now without an extra base hit. Um, that is the specific window that I've been looking at. Um, but yeah, his numbers after being the hottest hitter in baseball for April have tapered off really significantly. Um, even, you know, for May and June, there were still the batted ball stuff was really, really strong. Even that's kind of come down to earth a little bit. Um, that Dan suggested Espinal getting a chance. I mean, Espinal hasn't hit very well either. I'd be more inclined to take the lump defensively and try to get Biggio or Schneider in there uh, a little bit more. There were uh, a couple questions from the week that we just aren't going to, we're going to run out of time for here. We got four minutes left in the show and I want to do a little bit to uh, set up this weekend series. So apologies to anyone who didn't get their questions in uh, or sorry, didn't get their questions answered rather, uh, but appreciate all the engagement on that text line. We'll do a little bit more uh, again next week. So Jay's, with a three set against Cleveland, Chris Bassett against Tanner Bybee tonight, Hyunjin Ryu against Logan Allen, Yusei Kikuchi against Noah Syndergaard. Last time the Jays saw Bybee, he had the start of his career. Uh, zero earned over seven in innings pitched. He's been solid enough this year and solid since then, but that's the high watermark of his season here. Logan Allen gave up one over five. That was probably the, the best the Jays did to at least get the pitch count up on a guy. He's turned into pretty good starts since then and, and is having a pretty good season overall. Uh, you can at least understand why, you know, that was a that was a tough one. And the same could be said for Gavin Williams, who the Jays won't see here. The biggest one, though, I mean, in addition to you need more than zero runs off Bybee, Noah Syndergaard allowed one earned run over five and two-thirds against the Jays last time they met. Coming into that one, Noah Syndergaard was statistically arguably the worst starting pitcher in baseball this year and certainly a top 10 worst starting pitcher in baseball this year. He has gone right back to being a pumpkin since that start. There is nothing in that that suggests Syndergaard was better. The Jays early in that game put a bunch of guys on and couldn't cash runs in, and then he was allowed to settle in from there. You absolutely cannot have that in this one. The Guardians come in losers of eight of their last 12. They're coming off of a double header yesterday against the Dodgers. Now Hunter Gaddis gave them four and two thirds of relief in one of those games to save the bullpen a little bit. Um, Emmanuel Classe hasn't pitched in a couple days. Trevor Steffen hasn't pitched in a couple days, but for the most part, this is a bullpen that's not in great shape right now. Foot on the gas. If you can, a team coming off a doubleheader where they used all but their highest leverage relievers yesterday, if you can get into that pen early, maybe force some roster churn, maybe force some guys who threw 30, 35 pitches yesterday to have to pitch again today, there's a snowball effect to that 
over the course of a series, and you want to see that going pretty early. It starts tonight against Tanner Bybee, who, again, shut the Jays down last time. He's going to go fastball, change-up, slider, and then against lefties, he'll drop a, a curve in there, but pretty much fastball change with just a sprinkling of the slider against the Blue Jays. Um, he's been real good since the turn of July. He's got a 215 ERA over that stretch, including that terrific start against the Blue Jays, um, but no reason that you can't uh, get to him a little bit more than you did last time, especially now that you've seen the fastball and the changeup and the slider in combination there. We'll hear from John Schneider before today's game uh, as well. I'd imagine there is some sort of timeline update on when Alec Manoa is expected to start. Uh, the Blue Jays fortunately don't have a lot going on on the IL to get updates on, but Chad Green is expected to get into a game today and then maybe again tomorrow, depending on how these things play out. Uh, he could you know, potentially join the team at some point soon, but they probably just wait till September 1st at this point for roster purposes. Um, yeah, should be, I was going to say, should be a fun series. Should be an interesting series. Hopefully it's a fun series, but if this is another low scoring one, it uh, it could be frustrating. Jays need to start stacking some wins here. 59.8% chance of the playoffs as of this morning. They need that number to be a lot higher coming out of this weekend and certainly coming out of this 15 game stretch. Uh, thanks to Keegan Matheson and Dan Zaborski for coming on the show today. Thank you to everyone who sent questions in. Uh, thanks to Nick Blackburn and Andrew Adams who are filling in this week behind the glass and to Jennifer Rolnick who's always with us. Jesse Rubinoff and Matt Marchese next. Jeff Blair 5-7. to seven. Ben Schulman has Jay's Talk for you solo postgame. We will talk to you on Monday.